This resource is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. Attend the next National Disciple-Making Forum by registering at Discipleship.org. The following audio comes from the 2016 National Disciple-Making Forum. The theme this year was Culture Shift, Back to Jesus' Way of Disciple-Making. Discipleship.org brought together 10 disciple-making organizations all in one place, each organization hosting a different track. One of those 10 tracks was hosted by Man in the Mirror with Brett Klemmer and his team. Here's audio content from Man in the Mirror and their track called No Man Left Behind. Well, good morning. Thank uh, the Lord that the Lord has brought us all here today and that we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Amen. Well, my name is Monty Starks, and I am one of the pastors at Perimeter Church in Atlanta on staff with Life on Life. It's a ministry out of Perimeter Church. And Life on Life simply wants to help the church around the world get back to how Jesus did ministry. As simply as we want to do that. And so we want to focus on not just what Jesus taught in the red letters and how powerful that is, but we want to look at the black letters of the gospel also to see how Jesus walked with his men, loved people, served people, healed people, and so on. So we want to help the local church get back to just how Jesus invested in a few and went after the hearts of a few and see multiplication happen throughout the world. And God has richly blessed us. Uh, we're in six continents right now, working with churches all over the world. And it's just a joy to be a part of that. So that's why uh, we are here and who I am. And But I'd like to maybe start on the end down there with David and just introduce yourself, and we'll come to our session. Uh, my name is David Gibson. I've been involved with discipleship for probably 20 years now. Uh, I've been an elder for about 15. I started uh, back in the late 90s, actually was at Perimeter Church. And about um, four years ago, I, I moved here to Nashville with the vision of being a discipleship missionary, wanting to take what I had learned at Perimeter and uh, bring it to other cities, realizing that uh, I think it really takes people to communicate the essential elements of discipleship. And it just seemed like a very worthwhile thing to do with my life. I'm, uh, I'm not a vocational minister. Uh, I've been... I'm an engineer, so a lot of this stuff is very counterintuitive for me. It's not, don't have ABC, you know, do this and this, you'll get this result. So it's, it's been a, a very much a growth experience for me. I design integrated circuits, but uh, this has been very, very helpful for me to, to understand not just uh, my faith, but people and uh, the purpose I was made for. My name is Charles Hooper, and I am the director of Life on Life Coaching. So help with organizing the training and coaching pastors that come through our training so that we can walk with them. have talked to almost 600 pastors over the, le- over the last six years, really hearing their hearts about what the needs are in the local church. Uh, I've been through burnout twice, and that's why the topic that we're going to talk about today is very important. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm just honored to be here. Um, I'm Bobby Harrington with Discipleship.org. I'm also a lead pastor uh, of a church in uh, Franklin, Tennessee, so I uh, um, get to be here, and I'm, I'm going to be uh, hosting this conversation. Monty, it's a real honor. Uh, think very highly of Life on Life Ministries, uh, Randy Pope and Monty, and so it's just a real honor. I believe you're going to start us with a little uh, talk here this morning. Looking forward to it. Yes. So we're going to talk about something that we consistently, as Charles said, hear from pastors, associate pastors, just people all around the world, but especially here in America, is just their role of a pastor. What has God called them to be, uh, do? And so I want to start by throwing this out. Uh, There was a survey, and there's been multiple surveys done on looking at the life of a pastor, again, a senior pastor, associate pastor, assistant pastor. And this one survey passed, uh, uh, surveyed over a thousand pastors. And a hundred percent of them said this, that they had a close associate or seminary buddy that had left the ministry because of burnout, a conflict at the church, or a mor- moral failure. A hundred percent. Seventy percent of the pastors said they were so stressed out or burned out that they regularly considered leaving the ministry. Seventy percent. 
77% over three-fourths said they did not feel like they had a good marriage. 26%, just about a fourth, said they regularly had personal devotions and were adequately fed spiritually. Only one-fourth. 60 to 80% of those who enter the ministry will not be in it 10 years later. There's a major problem. A major problem. So how do we tackle this when we look at the scriptures? How do we tackle this when we look at our own personal lives, our family, look at the people we're ministering to? So I'd like to throw out some ideas and thoughts that we could discuss around this huge problem that we have. So Ephesians 4 says this, that we as leaders are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You have to put feet to that the verse and that whole passage, that we are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, I want to tell you what most people, I think, read that as pastors are being taught even, and especially they live out, is this. That I am to equip myself that I might do the work of ministry for the church. Not that I am to equip others to do the work of ministry, but I am to do it. So, I think um, what we would say is these are just some um, topics um, of a given a titles, but one way to look at this is a traditional view, and a traditional view would be that we, the pastors, the leaders, we do the ministry, we do the work of ministry. So I am to do when I when I'm talking about pastoring, um, you can think of it as a big P, a letter P, pastoring, that I'm counseling people on a consistent basis. I'm doing funerals, weddings on a consistent basis. Um, I'm going to uh, basically do all the training and teaching and equipping in the church. Um, and so it, it's a point where I feel like we're doing most of the shepherding. Okay. And so the traditional view is as a pastor, I went to seminary, I'm trained to do that. And that's what I'm supposed to do. But my life is burned out. I consistently got to feel like I got to counsel everybody, whether it's a church plant or a mega church. That feeling that I've got to do this. If you have more staff, you could maybe say, "Well, there's another pastor that's been trained. I'm just going to give it to him. I'm definitely not going to give it to anybody else, you know." And then I burn out him. So it's the same issue I could pass on to somebody else. And then what happens is we see this transition, especially probably in the last 40 or 50 years in the in the church, evangelical church. And it might be an evangelical view is this. Let's help people determine their one or two spiritual gifts, maybe three or four spiritual gifts, and let them live those out. And I think that's tremendous. I think that's valuable that we should do that. But what happens is, let's, let's say I'm on a team and you have a hospitality gift. You know, you have a mercy gift and you have an administration gift. And all of a sudden, uh, we need some people to go and... and um, to speak at someone's wedding or to counsel someone. I'm like, well, you guys don't have that gift, so I'm still going to go do it. So now I have the same problem I ran into, even though you have those gifts, I run into the same problem. But we truly believe, if you look at the life of Christ and the life of Paul and what he commands in Scripture, that if we are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, I can equip you, maybe you're not gifted, but you definitely can be equipped in evangelism and Training and loving, maybe um, hospital visits or consulting, counseling or whatever it may be. I could equip you to be able to do that effectively so you could take some of, in a sense, load off me as a pastor in the church. So I don't have to get burned out. So um, to make this simple, what we usually do is we usually draw um, a big P on the board. So think of big letter P. That's my, all my shepherding, what I'm supposed to do. And think of equipping and leading, equipping others is like a little small E. And then think of a personal life, just uh, we could call that PL, personal life. And what we understand is, is the pastors we talked to had this huge P. They spend all this time shepherding and meeting the needs and putting out fires and getting burned out. 
And then you do a little of equipping. You know, maybe their sermons might be the only equipping that they do. Maybe a little um, other class or whatever it may be. And their personal life is just shunned. You know, their, their walk with Christ or their marriage or their kids or so on. We believe that the scriptures has called us to equip the saints for the work of ministry where the P would be much smaller that I can equip other people to do shepherding, pastoral care. And that the big E uh, or, or the E should become big. That should equip people to do that. And through discipleship, through giving my life to a few and watching them multiply and do the same is the most effective way because we saw Jesus do it. Therefore, my personal life becomes very important. It becomes that I guard that. So, give you an example that uh, we use, uh, Randy uses, and that is this. So, and, and guys, I know that any of you are pastors and associate pastors, and many of you are, and I struggle with this. So here's a common example, and then I'll stop here and we'll jump in. Is you have somebody come, well, why don't you come to the hospital? Only you can come to the hospital. That's the only person I want to come to the hospital. And there's probably some people on stage that you wouldn't want us as pastors to come to the hospital. We're just not that loving or kind or considered or compassionate, you know. And all of a sudden, when that family wants you to come to the hospital or... And, and sometimes if there's a friend or a close family, you always should. I mean, I'm not neglecting that at all. But if you're required to come to every single one of them, you're required to do every single one of the funerals, every single one of the weddings, every single one of the counselings. You know, they, the couples have to talk to you as the lead guy or, or assistant guy. What will happen is if you say no, they'll throw darts at you. You don't love the flock. You don't care about the flock. Wow. Then what you do is you say no and you go home because you need to spend time with your family. Then let's just say I need to spend time with my family. I promised I'd be home, but this couple came in. So, yes, I'm going to say yes to them because they're going to get mad at me if I don't. Now, what will happen is I'll go home and my, my family will be more gracious to me. They'll be more gracious. But then if there's ever an issue with my kids or my wife or we're struggling in marriage... Those same people that would get mad at me if I don't show up are now mad at me and say, why aren't you loving your family? Why don't you care about your family? Aren't you spending enough time with your family? So we have this problem. So we always talk about sheep bite. So sheep will bite no matter if you go and then you neglect something else. Or if you don't go, they'll get mad. So we have this vision that we want to equip, equip our, our people in our church not to do every single ministry, not to preach from the pulpit every week. We're not talking about that. But to do the work of ministry. And so to do that is we disciple people where if a guy comes to me in my discipleship group, which is literally happening today, he uh, flew to Texas and he's preaching uh, or uh, sharing literally at his uh, grandfather's funeral in several hours. Hey, how could I help him be able to do that? How can I help a guy go, hey, can you come talk to the guy who's dying that works with me in the hospital? I don't know how to share the gospel with him. He needs the gospel. Can you come to the hospital? You've got to come to the hospital. It's got to be 9 o'clock tonight, and that's when I'm going. No. It would be my fault if I didn't equip you to go do it. But you're going to go do it. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to equip you to do it. So what are you guys' thoughts Boy, about? That's good. So uh, what you're talking about, Monty, is a very uh, distinctive and different view than the average person in the average church has of the pastor, uh, even though they would all probably agree with what you're saying. So that's very good. Well, Charles, you work regularly with pastors. Uh, you've been through burnout a couple of times yourself, you said. So jump in here with uh, Monty's excellent presentation. Yeah, I think one thing that's very important for us to think about is do we believe that Scripture says that non-ordained people can do the work of the ministry. And so if, if our answer correctly is yes, then obviously we're thinking about discipleship to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, and that changes our role as pastors and leaders in the church. So a big question is, how do I add disciple-making to my already busy schedule as a pastor? as a key leader in the church? And I think that's the wrong question to ask. The, the right question to ask is, 
how can I model for my congregation disciple-making so that as a leader, as staff, as a pastor, I am making that a priority in other aspects of ministry We're going to train people who are gifted to do that so that they're able to carry out their role. So I think that's a a key question that that I thought. So the first question that you're uh, raising is the one, uh, is is, are there areas that non-ordained people can do? That's the the first fundamental question. Absolutely. And that's where you started as well, Monty. Um, uh, Let's, uh, I think for everybody's sake, to re-look at Ephesians chapter 4 which Monty uh, mentioned, I think is really important because um, the whole thesis of what you're saying is built around that text. And if you're following along with us, I would encourage you to uh, get your Bible. And I'm going to try to get it here on mine. Just one second. Because Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12 there is probably the best place to start. Here's what it says. Uh, This is the uh, New International Version. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. So these are the five uh, leadership roles uh, that you could uh, equate with ordained roles in the early church. And he gave them. So here we have these leaders, and they're given. What are they given for? To equip his people for works of service. So the role of church leaders is to equip the people so that the body of Christ may be built up. In other words, he gave leaders there to equip the people. The people are due to do the works of service to build up the body of Christ. That sounds like exactly what you're talking about, Charles. That the, the average person in the church is a minister who is then put to work on behalf of Christ and the church. You know, it's interesting when you talk about what ordained people cannot do and what ordained people can. It differs from denomination and so on. We're not talking about that whatsoever. We're talking about that people in the church and more than that, us as leaders and pastors, we feel the obligation that we've been trained. We have to do it all or we have to do 95% of it rather than what is our equipping strategies to help these people know how to love well serve well, whether it's multiple shepherding roles, not just, um, you know, having a parking attendant, which would be great too. We need that. We have that at our church. That'd be great. But it's, it's actually to go serve the hearts of people and to engage them with the gospel of Jesus Christ in multiple shepherding areas. Yeah, that's good. Well, so David, you've been uh, an elder, uh, you mentioned earlier, for 15 years, but you're also an engineer, and engineers know systems. Right? Yeah. Jump in here. Well, those two are not incompatible, I found. <laughs> uh, but the story I think of when I hear Monty talking about this is I remember when uh, maybe 10 years ago there was a guy in my discipleship group that was, uh, was, was very sick and he was in the hospital for quite some time. And uh, uh, not a lot of people were allowed to visit him and I wanted to, to go see him. And um, I was talking with somebody and I remembered part of my training which said that, uh, you know, as an ordained elder, you are a pastor, and if they're pastor's hours, walk in there and say, I'm his pastor, and there's nothing wrong with that. And more than just being a method of access, it, it changed a lot of my demeanor in visiting him and how I saw that time. I, I saw it as, as a time when I was you know, representing Christ to him. I wasn't just dropping by to see him. And uh, I think there's a lot of empowerment in telling lay leaders that they do have this authority. They yeah. do have this uh, ability, and it... I think it could change people's mindset. Yeah, that's good. So what we're talking about here is the average church today uh, is dysfunctional. I mean, Monty, those stats that you started with, those are pretty significant statistics. And then, Charles, you're working with pastors, and you've had personal experience with this. How common is the mindset that those who are P, with the big P pastors, are to do all the work of ministry? Talk to us about that, Charles. I'll disclose personally the struggle that I believe I hear from many pastors. We've been equipped. We've been to seminary. We've got a lot of mileage on the ministry car. We really do think that we can do it better than the folks in the pews. And so the the question as it relates to disciple-making from the pastors, they're not asking what to do. 
They're not asking when to do it. They're not asking who to do it with. They're not asking why to do it. The big question that I've heard over 600 pastors is how. How do I effectively make disciples as a senior pastor when my primary gifts and training are about proclamational ministry? But they also know intuitively, they also know from Scripture that there's an incarnational ministry. And they want to know how to do that. But as we've said at at this conference, many pastors have not been personally discipled. Therefore, when they are are leading their church, they don't know how to make disciples. And so that incarnational ministry piece is what we feel passionate to, to help pastors with. And the way we train them is by doing that with them. Incarnationally walking alongside of them for two years to help them see they can be a disciple-making pastor, not merely a proclamational pastor. So I'd like to ask a question. Where did this idea come from? This whole idea that the pastor's got to do everything, Monty. Where's this, uh, where, where, where was this coming from? I, I don't know if I can clearly answer that question, but church history has a lot to do with it. You had this separation between clergy and laity, and we could go way back. I mean, we're talking thousands of years in this separation. We could go back to a certain type of, and this is my own personal opinion, one of the major things is, is this definition we were talking about last night. This definition of a disciple. And what my personal experience is, is there's been many books of people I respect and love that have written that I would just agree with biblically. And a lot of them were in the 70s and 80s that I imagine a lot of us, if we love to read some old discipleship guys, they created a two-tier system. And the two-tier system was you have Christians. Those are the people that are going to heaven. Okay, They've trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior. Okay, Then you have disciples. They're the super Christians. They're the ones that are really obedient and really faithful. And there are entire parachurch ministries that would teach us and proclaim this. There's entire books. Again, some of my heroes that would have entire chapters on this. I disagree with that. Nowhere in Scripture is there a separation between a Christian and a disciple. It is exactly the same. So much so that the word Christian is used in the Scriptures in the Greek three times. All the New Testament. The word disciple is used in the Greek in the New Testament 269 times. We have a major problem with understanding with our people. I'm a Christian. You're the super spiritual disciple guy. You go do it. No. You, 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 you were all disciples and followers of Jesus. Therefore, he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit to go love people and to serve people. So I asked pastors, and I know Charles has done the same, and, and, and Dave and I have had this conversation before, is what can an ordained pastor only do and everybody else not do? And you could ask that multiple denominations. And the answer is usually about one or two things. <laughs> so the other 5,000 things, and you could leave and limit it to whatever, the next 15 at least, everybody could do. So now the question is, Charles, is how do we equip those people to do it? Because they are disciples. They are disciple makers. They are helping people come not only to faith but full maturity. So, so what you're saying is that in the minds of a lot of people, there's this dichotomy that you can be a Christian without being a disciple. And what you're saying is that's not true, that in fact the real emphasis in the Bible some 269 times is we're all called to be disciples. And what disciples do is they make disciples, they serve, they function as Jesus would. All right? Is it... Uh, so you have this uh, clergy and laity history. Yeah. And then you have more of a recent last 40, 50 years of this separation because of terminology yeah. and expectation because of the past. Yeah. So, David, you've been uh, in, a, in a few churches. You've seen pastors sort of struggle with this. Um, my question for you is, how much of the problem is it that people come to church with an expectation? Uh, in other words, the average everyday Christian goes to church and he expects to, quote, be pastored by, personally pastored by. Uh, what's your observation about people coming to churches and how it's making pastors feel in churches, David? Well, I think the fundamental question here is, is who does the work of the church? 
And so many people, I think, have this impression that it's the employees of the church. Yeah. But, They're paid to do the work yes, of ministry. Yes, the ones who are paid. But, I mean, really, the work falls on, uh, on those of us who are good for nothing, if you want to say it that way, <laughs> who are the, uh, the amateur uh, um, ministers, but who... Or the people I think that God calls. I mean, that's what being a Christian is, is advancing the kingdom and, and using your gifts uh, to serve others and to, uh, and to show God's uh, mercy. Uh, and um, I believe that too many churches take this attitude of we are here to provide services for the congregation rather than we are here to equip the congregation to provide services for the kingdom. Yeah. And one other thing I want to say about this is, is you were talking earlier, Monty, about the challenges for pastors to figure out how to draw lay people into some of these things. I think most people would be amazed if they understood the desire that the mature people in their church have to serve in greater ways. But they see the staff of the church performing those functions and they think, that's not something I should be doing. That's something that's taken. But if they're invited into that, it'll not only take a load off the pastor, it's going to grow them tremendously spiritually. It might be something they're waiting to do. Think, gosh, I didn't know I could do that. I can do that. You know, That's going to grow them spiritually. It's going to grow the church. It's going to take the load off the leaders. I think it's, it's something waiting to happen that everybody just assumes can't happen. Yeah. <clears throat> well, let's talk then about uh, if you've got this situation uh, that we're describing where you have a lot of the leaders think, well, my job's to pastor the people or... You know, maybe I'll get a few super Christians who are true disciples, and they can help me. And then people coming into the churches thinking, hey, that's your job. That's what we pay you to do. Uh, So, like, it's not my thing. Um, That's messed up. This is all messed up. Yeah, I think there's a transition that takes place. If there's a traditional role that the pastor does it all, and the people are in the pews just to appreciate it and pay the salary there's got to be a transition and many times it it moves into that evangelical role we need to teach on spiritual gifts we need to equip people for ministry but the pastor is still having to control all that or give permission but then the biblical view is the people are released by the holy spirit to use their gifts in service where they live work and play and so that transition has to take place And so three questions that we found very helpful to ask pastors and for for anyone for that matter is what what do I need to start doing in order to be an effective disciple maker? We're not just adding it on to our already busy lifestyle. What do we need to start doing maybe that we're not? What do we need to stop doing? That's the big question. I think the idolatries of significance and control and approval – make that question very difficult. What am I going to stop doing? How do I separate my identity from my performance, from my position, from the power that I have? And then the last question, I think this is key based on what we're talking about, is who can I delegate these roles to if they're properly trained? And so we say if someone presents a need to us and there's no one who's been properly trained to do that, that's the pastor's job. That's the the elders, the leader's job. But if you have people who are gifted and better equipped, they should do it, and they'll do a far better job than the official uh, professionals. So those are three helpful practical questions. uh, what What do you need to stop doing? What do you need to start doing? And what are things that only you can do? Is that Or only you you can delegate. What are, what are the things? What are the ministries that you can delegate to others? And if they're properly trained, then we don't need to do it as the professional pastors. So how do I figure that out? Talk to me about some specifics there. How, yeah, let how me let me jump out? in about how to figure it out because that we, we're talking about the issue. There's a problem. We're talking about the the stats are amazing. Yeah. Um, and then we talk about that we need to go equip the saints for the work of ministry. What does that look like? About how? Uh, before I talk about that, I'd like to talk about um, the joy and also the power of relationship. And we've been talking about all about discipleship, being with people, pouring into people, and uh, loving them. So I could tell you story after story from my personal life or other, other friends I have. And when they'll come and ask, 
listen, I just don't feel equipped to do this. And it could be simply like um, a counseling someone or hospital visit or um, going to someone's home and helping them through a trial that their family's having, just loving them. And what's so interesting, and if I said, well, I'm sorry, I haven't equipped you to do that. That is my fault. Hey, I'll go with you. I'll model for you. And then you can come along and do it after me. Well, what's happened every single time is I don't have the relationship with that person. They do. It's their neighbor. It's their coworker. It's their a guy's a base, a son's baseball coach, whatever it is. I go with them and I model. In that first modeling time, halfway through or even before that, they're loving them much better than I am. <laughs> they're giving them counsel and passion and, and encouragement much better than I would have. Why am I here again? You're the one that loves them and knows them. You just need a little direction, a little kick, maybe a, a, a framework to do that in. And that's all I'm modeling for you. But the relationship kicks in way faster, and the person feels a lot more love for me. We share stories all the time about a person that, oh, this person died. You have to go do the, preach the whole funeral. And I'm like, no. I can help you and know how to do that. I might give maybe an overarching view of what we're here for and kind of set it up. But I want you to be the one that really shares. They don't remember a thing I said. They remember when the friend stands up there and just pours into it. So it's not just modeling. um, It's that the relationship that someone has with someone else just seems to trump all the proper steps and the words to say. You know, love covers a multitude of sins. So now let's jump into the how, I think. But I just want to share that about relationship. That's good, Monty. You know, Bobby, you mentioned about the expectations of the church. Yeah. So we've dealt with kind of the mindset of the pastor, that I am a a leader equipper primarily. So I think the church, the the pastor and the staff have to communicate and set that expectation for the church so that everyone understands what role we all play. And so in our membership classes, we talk to our uh, new members or those who are interested in joining about the role. And so we talk about the traditional role of the pastor, the expectation that the congregation has of that pastor. We talk about the evangelical role. We talk about the biblical role. And so really, if, if we were a company, we're trying to communicate that the customer, if you will, is not only the congregation, but it's also people in the community where we live, work, and play. And many times the people feel like the employer of the church is actually the the pastors and the staff. And so there's a misunderstanding of the role. So God is the owner of this company, if you will. The, The staff are able to be the equippers of the employees who then are able to go out and minister to other uh, uh, customers, if you will, in the community. So we try to clarify the expectations. So as, as people are coming in up front, you say, uh, here's the traditional understanding, here's the biblical understanding That's right. that we try to follow in this church. Therefore, uh, we want you to think of yourselves in a different role. That's right. And if you think about the, the average church size being around 100, that represents about 12 families. Well, that's about as much as a pastor and maybe his wife helping could, could effectively minister to. But why are so many churches so small? It might be because the capacity of the pastor is limited. But once we shift from that traditional role through evangelical role to a biblical role, it increases the capacity of the congregation to care for itself so it's not centered on the role of the pastor doing all the shepherding. That's good. So uh, once then I'm a part of uh, of the church as you're laying it out, I, I go through your, pro- okay, this is my role. What happens next then? How do you change the culture for the people once they're a part of the church? That's the exciting thing because uh, when when folks are equipped to do the work of the ministry, they've discovered their gifts, they're enthusiastic about ministering, Uh, not necessarily with permission of the church. They already have permission by the Holy Spirit. So actually, at our church, we have an abundance of leaders. We have the leaders that we need. 
And the reason is not because we have these great men and women in the business world and they come in and use their business uh, expertise. They've come to Christ. They've been discipled well. They've been equipped. And, you know, we have like 288 different ministries. I'm not boasting here, but but when people feel empowered, they're going to minister. And I think our community really would feel like, wow, if our church evaporated, our community would feel the the, the missing uh, presence of the church. That's good. You know, you talk about leaders and, and how you create leaders. And um, the, the church I'm in now is a relatively new a church plant four or five years ago. We're kind of going through what Tim Keller calls a 200-member barrier now. But um, early on, there's this struggle between... Uh, two different things you can encourage your leaders to do. You can encourage them to to run ministries or you can encourage them to grow people. And uh, when you have very few resources, it's very hard to take your really talented people out of running stuff. But it's a strategy that may have short-term pain but has incredible long-term gain. And I think that's perimeter strength. That they, they have recognized that. They have had their key people spend time with discipleship before they go into ministry. And I think you find that having people in discipleship leads to them leading ministries. That's where the leaders come from, is spending time in discipleship. You can take a great leader and have him lead a ministry, but if he's not a mature Christian, I mean, where is he leading that ministry? So I think it's very important to set the right balance between encouraging people into leadership roles versus encouraging people into relationship roles, which they can then later on in the life of the church uh, impact the true spiritual growth that I think is the real mission of the church. Top Monty, talk to us about that. So uh, if we're going to do what uh, David's just describing, tell me how you do it. How do you prepare leaders? Yes, uh, that's that what um, we follow the model of the best leader preparer ever to walk the face of the earth. And that's why we want to follow Jesus' model of investing in a few. Let me see if I can describe it this fun way that we have fun, one way to describe this is um, actually, uh, I, I think you might have stayed there at uh, Holiday Inn Express. Yeah. And I was actually s- excited when I saw the shower head in the shower. Let me explain what I mean by that. This is why we can have fun with this. So when you think about a great shower head, you think about one of those big ones. You know, I mean, the, you know, it's going to put out some water. Yeah. Hopefully the, the power's there, right? But usually in the middle of that shower head are these like maybe three or four like thrusters that'll put out the hard water really fast. And all around the rest are these just small dots. So kind of like that rain that'll come out. Okay? And you could switch it to have both of them on or whatever. What we believe is that thrust of the church, the local church, is discipleship. It's taking and investing in a few. That's the thrust. That's the meat. That's the foundation of the church, period. And that's what Christ showed us and modeled and told us and, and, and commanded us to do. Well, so we want to focus that that is the most effective way, not the only way, but the most effective way to make leaders. And I'm not talking about just a title of a leader. I mean, I think as a, as, as a disciple of Christ, we've all been giving a leadership. As a husband, you're a leader. You know, uh, as a father, you're a leader, whatever. Yeah, we're not talking about the traditional leadership role. We're talking about just being a leader in the kingdom for God, for his sake, for his glory. So those thrusters, that's the most effective way. So, but you also have to have the little dots around to support the discipleship. So, for instance, if you guys were my discipleship group, we would go deep on a lot of things in that thrusting discipleship group part. And also in one-on-ones outside our discipleship group. But I'd also point to this one dot over here. Hey, this is the best book I've read on marriage. You ought, you ought to read that book. This is the best sermon I've ever heard on the sovereignty of God. You ought to listen to that sermon. Hey, this is the best article on what it means to, to love your neighbor. And so you fill that with workshops, seminars, classes, and teachings, or whatever it is, uh, books, and so on, to have the wholeness of a person become a true disciple, a leader, a quipper for others, so they could even do it for others. And so I think the how is simple. I do not think it's difficult. What I think most churches do is they said, okay, we're going to have a six-week class on, you know, here's, and, and it's a talking head up front, and we're just sitting here just telling you how to minister this way, which is, which I also think is interesting about even officers' classes, what we do in officers' classes. We make sure they're kind of um, 
theology is correct and offers a class before they can kind of be an officer in this. Well, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, when it lists elders and deacons, it actually lists only one theological um, attribute. And it lists maybe two. You can make an argument for two of them being skills. The rest of it's character. Yeah. So how do you go after the character of people to actually love in the community as Charles and David were talking about? Well, it's through life on life. It's through investing in discipleship in a few. So that's where I think the transition not only becomes to communicate with your staff first, and then you could communicate you know, slowly with your people. You've got to be sensitive to them. But the most effective way is to have some kind of discipleship process and ministry in your church is that thrust of that shower head. No, that's good. Well, uh, let's say that I'm here uh, this morning and uh, I'm trying to think, okay, where do I begin? Um, I can't change the whole system. I'm just a regular guy. Maybe uh, I'm, I'm a third chair or second chair. Maybe I've got a student ministry. Uh, give me some advice, guys. Where do I start with all this? Charles? Usually the first question that I ask a pastor who calls and wants advice, counsel, coaching about a discipleship process in their church, I'll ask them, do you want a program or do you want a movement? And I'm encouraged, Bobby, that 97% of the pastors that I've asked that question to, over 600 pastors, they've said, we don't want a program. We're, we're tired of running programs. We, we've tried to make disciples through various iterations of small groups, and it's just we're not pleased. I mean, we, we like some of the results, but we're not getting the results. We want to see a systemic movement. And so kind of applying the motto that we like, think big, start small, go deep, you have to grow into business of disciple-making, not go so I think just getting started, don't think about disciple-making as a program. Every person, every man and woman can personally and intentionally disciple a few, influence a few. Whether the church buys into it or not, whether the senior pastor or the, the leaders say it's an approved pro- Jesus has already given us permission. <laughs> he, he's already told us to do that. And so we've seen movements actually start in the church uh, from the grassroots. Now, obviously, it's a lot easier once you get the senior pastor to, to really buy into that vision. But I think for all of us, who are two or three or four folks that, that God's moving in, invest in them. And I think having a plan, being intentional, is, is more effective than just kind of being loosey-goosey. But just start with a few, start wherever with a few. we are. Yeah. Okay. Um, if I'm here today and I'm thinking, okay, I want to start with a few, uh, do you have some tools? Randy was talking last night about tools and things like that. Monty, do you have any tools you'd recommend to begin with? Um, to begin with, no. And let me explain what I mean by that. Um, uh, first of all, I think there are two things to get started on this topic. One is, is that... Simply, we have to change our mindset or go back to the Word of God as we went in Ephesians 4 here. And then it's so important. And maybe we could just start with our own heart and study that. And, and maybe as Charles talked about, and then David actually uh, referred to, is that we would repent of wanting to own it, our own idols, to lead everything, to be in control, to be the person that has to be there and has to do it, rather than we know there's a lot of people in our congregation do a lot better job than we can at many things. So maybe that's a thing of just having a, a time of repentance and us understanding ourselves as leaders to lay that down. Because you can't start doing something sort of externally if you haven't been persuaded and your heart doesn't change. Yeah, because you could just give it a name and a title and put it on a job descriptions for everybody. Yeah, and it's yeah. just, I mean, you really have to dig and, and, and wrestle with the scripture. So I think that's the first thing. And also in that same umbrella of these two big ones, in that same first umbrella is to... Um, Talk with your staff, talk with your leaders, officers, women, men, whatever it may be, and get them to understand this biblical principle that we're going to carry out. And then slowly unfold it verbally, and you might put it on job descriptions or whatever, uh, verbally uh, carry that out. So I think that needs to happen. I actually think that's not that difficult. The second is what we've been talking about is just 
disciple making and, and discipleship and having that be a part of our church. So I think the best thing to do there is necessarily not start with tools, but find biblical principles around Christ and what he did and focus on biblical principles. Because once if you start with a tool, you kind of whip out a tool. And we've experienced this with tons of churches. If you whip out a tool and you just throw the tool at some of their existing structure, they throw the tool in their existing structure. And people don't understand the biblical mindset of what Jesus did with his men. And we believe, like, for example, there are nine principles that Jesus had in scriptures of how he selected his men. Well, you know how we select? You sign up for this and you're in this group. We don't believe Jesus did that. We don't believe he had a sign up. We believe he actually, if you look at Mark chapter 3, we talk about this in our other breakouts. If you look at Mark chapter 3, it's actually about 14 or 15 months into Jesus' ministry when he goes up on the mountain and says, these are my apostles. It is not the first week of his ministry when he chooses apostles. It's over a year. So he's spending time looking at the hundreds of people that are following him and saying, these are going to be my men. Yeah. So Jesus went out and selected them. And he had a criteria. He was looking for, not perfection. They were un, uneducated, ordinary men that turned the world upside down. Uneducated, ordinary men that turned the world. So he weren't looking for the, I always think Jesus messed up when he uh, should have chose the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I'd have chose those guys. I mean, they memorized the Torah. Wouldn't it be pretty cool to have a guy in your discipleship group, you know? <laughs> hey, could you just quote numbers right now for you? That wouldn't be awesome. But he didn't choose those guys. He chose guys that he saw potential in. But anyway, we see principles in Scripture. So I think the principle is how Jesus selected his man, how he walked with his man, how he modeled for his man, how he trained his man. We follow those principles. And then, therefore, the tool becomes a tool rather than the program. Because if you throw the tool into an existing thing and don't have an understanding of biblical discipleship, I think it, the natural person is going to lean to what they've already always done. And that is to just be a Bible study and teach or you know, just kind of dump knowledge on people instead of engaging their hearts and helping them be equipped to be more like Christ. So in other words, <clears throat> before you pick your tool, make sure you understand the process and uh, of who you should invest in. And uh, if they're really ready for it and, and what they need, given where they're at. Yeah, the, some biblical principles will always trump a tool. And I think the tools can be tweaked and changed. We need them because it's so hard to reproduce nothing. Yeah. So you need tools. You have to have tools. But if you start with a tool, what does a person think? The tool is discipleship. That piece of paper is discipleship. Yeah, yeah. That's not what it is. We want to look at the principles of Christ. So it's life on life. And then you use the tools according to the needs of a person's life. And you have to have them. But I think you should start with training your people of what are the biblical principles around Christ. And what's the biblical principle around his commandment? Yeah. That's, you know, that's, Monty, as I listen to you, I, I, I'm thinking about this verse. I mean, uh, that uh, in Genesis where God says, let us make mankind in our image. And when I'm hearing you talk, I think the temptation is to treat discipleship as another thing you do to people whereas really it's a change in the perception of how we relate to each other Mm. i mean that verse says a community is making a community in the image of a community and i think so often we lose sight of what i think is the single most important point is that we have in our congregation almost a trinitarian type relationship with each other where we live to serve we live to use our gifts for others we live to be intimate with other people to be known intimately. And I think that's not pulling a bunch of tools out. I think that's changing the way that people think about how they relate relate to each other. And I think really successful discipleship, the most important element, is probably that. That, That's the life-on-life component. That's the spending time with each other. That's the knowing each other. That's the being part of a community. That's serving each other with your gifts. David, that that is powerful that we're creating the image of God and we treat people that way. And we interact with people that way, and we equip people that way. So there, again, that's a biblical principle of who we are. Our identity is is in the image of God, and of course, our identity as believers in, in, in the image of Christ. And going back to thinking, if you're uh, the chair, second chair, third chair, Bobby, going back to your your question that you just shared, um, we see this on a consistent basis that um, people will talk to us, churches will talk to us. Uh, senior pastors and someone will talk to us. And we always say, be a doer, not just a hearer. I think the most effective thing that a church does, I don't care what chair, 
um, is to select like Christ and invest in a few like Christ and watch it organically grow using good tools. And that's the best thing you could do to start. I think the mega church in this room that has 10,000 people, we always encourage them to start one or two men's discipleship groups and one or two men's uh, women's discipleship groups. That's it. Don't put it on a bulletin. Don't preach on it. Don't put it on your website. Don't have a sign-up because it will instantly become your next program. Mm. Don't do that. Yeah, we have a requirement that all of our new leaders have to come from existing groups because we believe it's not a matter of training and knowledge or style or structure. It's more of uh, an understanding and imprinting of the community nature, the relationship that discipleship really represents. Mm, That's good. So just start with you. I mean, I I think any church... One lady, one man could start effectively and get help to know how Jesus selected and so on. Get, get that help. Get that coaching. Get that counseling uh, for that, that equipping from people who have done that. Uh, and to start simply. But as a church, start small and watch it organically grow. Let me explain what I mean by that in a sense is people have small groups. We believe they serve as a different purpose. And when I'm talking about that, I want to talk about traditional small groups. Where anybody can go, anybody can sign up, low commitment, no commitment, um, not really targeting much, not really a missional expectation, but it's good, good fellowship and caring and prayer and sharing one. We have those, we love those, you need those. Not everybody that's going to walk into your church the first Sunday is going to go, hey, I want to sign up for this deep group, committed group that someone's going to rip open my heart and, heart and talk about all the sin that we have, you know, and, and help me become like Jesus. I want to sign up for that. Some people will, but most people just want to connect. They just want to have fellowship. They want relationship. They want relationship. So have a place, or multiple places, that the word is there, truth is there, that people can get involved. But they don't feel like they've got to give their whole life to that. And there's all this expectation on them to go multiply or whatever. So you have to have a purpose for small groups. We believe life-on-life missional discipleship groups, whatever you want to call them, those are specifically following Christ's principles of selecting like him, investing like him, and having the expectation of being missional like him. So you, there, there's a place for not only those two, but multiple ones. And so I would say don't trash your other ones. Don't you know, get rid of them. My goodness, they serve a great purpose. Keep them. So what you're saying is uh, start small. And uh, <laughs> think big, start small. <laughs> and uh, uh, start with a few. Well, this has been uh, really helpful, uh, men. Um, before we uh, bring this session to an end, I'm going to give each of you just one last minute. If there's anything you could say uh, that hasn't been said that you think would encourage folks, if you would add it. David, let me start with you, and then Charles, and then Monty, if you'll close this out. Uh, well, well, I think about... Uh... <clears throat> our experience in, in trying to begin discipleship in a new church that doesn't have that culture and uh, just wondering how to really get that across and make it clear that there really is a difference between discipleship and Bible study. And I think the moment when I felt like we're really getting it was when we came to the end of our first year, actually it was the end of our second year, and one of the leaders, he was, he was a leader in our church, guy on staff, he'd, he'd been not really discipling, discipling, but more counseling people for years. Just a very relational guy, just wonderful guy, giving you know good advice. Uh, but there really hadn't been anyone speaking into his life. And when it came to the end of that second year, and there seemed to be uh, an obvious leader in that group, such that it appeared it was ready to split, and he kept resisting the idea. We kept exploring, well, what's wrong with this guy? Why is he not ready? Ultimately, the truth came out is this leader wasn't ready to lose these relationships Mm. that he had built. And just the satisfaction it gave me to see him being filled when he'd been filling so many other people was, I think, let me know that we're really getting it. Yeah, that's great. I think one of the biggest challenges for a disciple-making movement to happen in our lives and in our churches is the epidemic of busyness. I went through burnout the first time, and hopefully I won't have a a third time, (laughs) but Eugene Peterson said in Chapter 2 of Contemplative Pastor, titled The Unbusy Pastor, which is, is like an oxymoron, he said the reason we're busy is because we're vain, 
and we're lazy. And in my heart, I resisted those accusations before the Holy Spirit said, Charles, you are vain and you are lazy. And that's, that's probably one of the biggest things that we hear from pastors around the world when we're compelling them to reconsider Jesus' model for the church, for disciple-making, is the phrase, I'm so busy, but, and then they continue their sentence. And Peterson talks about how that is an abrogation of our calling as leaders in the Christian church to say we're too busy to do the calling of Jesus. That deeply convicted me, and I said, my role as a pastor is to equip the saints, and I cannot be too busy to do that. And so I actually made business cards with the word no on it <laughs> to train me to, to overcome that vanity of, knowing, of caring what people think and, and the busyness, uh, the, the lack of taking control of my calendar. So disciple-making is a primary role for us as leaders in the church. It's not a tack-on. And so um, I, I hope that, that I don't go through burnout again. But finding time to be a disciple-maker is not a tack-on. It's a primary calling that we have as disciples of Christ. Boy, that's good. I have uh, never met a pastor... Over, over the age of 60, yet, I hope I do, I've never met a pastor over the age of 60 that said this, I just spent way too much time with my family and not enough time doing ministry. Haven't met that guy yet. I hope I do. I actually hope that's me. Because I think what these gentlemen have talked about up here is that the first thing we need to do is repent of our idols of ministry, as great as they are, we want to lift up ministry and we worship them and we protect them. And, and, and they're just idols that we've created, man-made idols of, of wanting to be Savior. And I think in that same repentance that we need to repent of that we have to be the ones. That we can't trust the power of the Spirit to work in the lives of other people. And I think that's what's so powerful about Jesus. I mean... If Jesus was super smart enough, shouldn't he stayed on the earth and did ministry for like another 40 years, 400 years? I mean, he would have done a lot better job than those 11 stupid guys, right? Well, no. He says, I've empowered you. I'm with you. I've equipped you. Go do the work of ministry. And I think that's what we need to repent of. That's what I need to repent of. And it's not a one-time repentance for me. It's a multiple, ongoing repentance of, of letting my idols down, of ministry, and just worshiping that idol. So I encourage you to begin there, of just going to your knees and just laying and repenting that down. It, it, if some of you, or maybe none of you, but I encourage you to do that. And then trust the power of the Spirit. Trust that He is raising up leaders, labors. And so I just love what we talked about yesterday, Matthew 9. The harvest is plentiful. But the labors are few. Spend your time having and equipping someone else and watching them go do it. And it's a great joy to equip someone. It's a billion times better joy for them to you go see them do ministry. That that just gives me chills this up here. So you mind if I close this out in prayer? That'd be okay? Yeah. Okay. Father, we thank you for this time and just this honor and privilege. We thank you uh, for discipleship.org. We thank you for the leaders of this ministry that allow us to be a part and for us to have these conversations that I know is great for my own heart. And we pray that it would use it to bless so many others. Oh, Father, we do repent. I repent of having an idol of ministry. We lay those down. I lay that down at the cross of Christ. And thank you for the blood that was shed to forgive us and that we have been washed, we have been made new. That you forgive us of our sins forevermore. And so help us to point people to you. Help us to trust in the power that reigns in 
people, you, God lives in us. That's amazing. And let us equip, let us train others that we may have that delight to see them go, love the world, impact the world for your glory and your glory alone. We pray this in the matchless, the beautiful, and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. This audio was adapted from the original presentation. Not all live interactions are included. Learn how you can grow as a disciple maker by visiting discipleship.org, where you can also register for the next National Disciple Making Forum.